Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Tessa Hadley reads from Molly Fox's Birthday by Deirdre Madden. To learn more from Hadley about her choice, check out the episode description. And now, read by Tessa Hadley. This is Tessa Hadley. I'm in London, and I'm reading from the beginning of a novel I love, which perhaps isn't known by enough readers. It's by Deirdre Madden, the Irish novelist, and it's called Molly Fox's Birthday. In the dream, I was walking through the streets of a strange city in a foreign country I did not recognise. I was weary and my feet were sore because I was wearing shoes that were too small for me. Then, as is the way in dreams, I was all at once in a shoe shop and my grandmother was there. She did not speak, neither in greeting nor to explain what she was doing there, but handed me a pair of shoes made of brown leather. I put them on and they fitted perfectly. Never in my whole life had I had such soft and comfortable shoes. How much do they cost, Granny? I asked. She told me the price in a currency I'd never heard of before, but of which I somehow knew the value. I knew that the price she named was derisory, that the shoes were, in essence, a gift. And then she gave me a thick green woolen blanket and I wrapped myself in it. And it was only now, when I was warm, that I realised how cold I had been. And it was only now that I remembered that my grandmother was dead, had been dead for over twenty years. Far from being afraid, I was overjoyed to see her again. Oh, Granny, I said, I thought we had lost you forever. She smiled and shook her head. Here I am. I awoke and I couldn't remember the dream. I only knew that I had been dreaming and that it had left me full of joy. Then immediately I was disconcerted by not recognising the room in which I had awoken. Whose lamp was this with its parchment shade? Whose low bed? Whose saffron-coloured quilt? The high windows were hung with muslin curtains. The room was flooded with morning light. And all at once it came to me. I was in Molly Fox's house. Molly Fox is an actor and is generally regarded as one of the finest of her generation. She insists upon actor... If I wrote poems, would you call me a poetess? One of the finest, but not perhaps one of the best known. She has done a certain amount of television work over the years and has made a number of films, a significant number given how much she dislikes that particular medium and that the camera, she says, does not love her. Certainly she does not have on screen the beauty and magnetism that marks out a true film star and she hates, she has told me, the whole process of making a film. The tedium of hanging around waiting to act bores her. And the fact that you can repeat a scene time and time again until you get it right seems to her like cheating. She likes the fear, the danger even, of the stage. And it is for the theatre that she has done her best work. Although she often appears in contemporary drama, her main interest is in the classical repertoire and her greatest love is Shakespeare. People seldom recognise her in the street, she is a woman of average height, quite nondescript, she herself claims, although I believe this fails to do her justice. Fine-boned, with brown eyes and dark brown hair, she has an olive complexion, she tans easily in the summer. She often wears black, 
Neutral tones suit her, oatmeal, stone and natural materials. She wears a lot of linen and knitted cotton. On the dressing table of the room in which I was sleeping was a marquetry box full of silver and turquoise jewellery, silver and amber, together with glass beads and wooden bracelets. For special occasions, she wears silks and velvets in deep, rich colours, purple or burgundy, which I think suit her even better than more subtle tones, but which she thinks too showy for everyday wear. She dislikes the colour green and will have nothing to do with it, for like many theatre people, Molly is extremely superstitious. And if she speaks of the Scottish play, it is not only out of respect for the feelings of others. When the public fails to recognise her in her daily life, it's not just because they see her face only infrequently on the cinema or television screen. It is because she has a knack of not allowing herself to be recognised when she doesn't want to be. I have no idea how she does this. I find it difficult even to describe. It is a kind of geisha containment, a shutteredness, a withdrawal and negation. It is as if she's capable of sensing when people are on the point of knowing who she is and she sends them a subliminal denial. I know what you're thinking, but you're wrong. It isn't me. I'm somebody else. Don't even bother to ask. And they almost never do. What gives her away every time is her voice. So often have I seen her most banal utterances, requests for drinks or directions, have a remarkable effect on people. A woman with such a voice is born perhaps once in a hundred years, one critic remarked. If heaven really exists, wrote another, as a place of sublime perfection, then surely everyone in it speaks like Molly Fox. Her voice is clear and sweet, at times it is infused with a slight ache, a breaking quality which makes it uniquely beautiful. It is capable of power and depth. It has a timbre that can express grief or desire like no other voice I've ever heard. It has, moreover, what I can only describe as both a visual and a sensuous quality, an ability to summon up the image of the thing that the word stands for. When Molly says snow, you feel a soft cold, you can see it freshly fallen over woods and fields, you can see the winter light. When she says ice, you feel a different kind of cold, biting and sharp, and what you see is glassy, opaque. No other actor with whom I've ever worked has such a remarkable understanding of language. Unsurprisingly, she's much in demand for this gift alone, for voiceovers, radio work and audiobooks. Although constantly solicited for it, she always refuses to do advertising. People who have never entered a theatre in their lives recognise her distinctive speech from historical or wildlife documentaries on television or from the tapes of classic children's literature they play to their sons and daughters in the car. Now she was in New York, and from there she would go to London to make a recording of Adam Bede. I thought of her sitting alone in the studio with her headphones and a glass of water, the hair-trigger needles of the instruments making shivering arcs as if they too thrilled to the sound of her voice. I thought of the bewitching way she would call up a whole imagined world so that the sound engineers behind the glass wall and anyone who would ever hear her recording would see Hetty in the creamery as though they were there with her. They might almost smell the cream and touch the earthenware, the wooden vessels, as though Molly were not an actor but a medium who could summon up not those who were dead but 
those who had never been anything but imagined. She lives in Dublin, in a red brick Victorian house, the middle house in a terrace. The front path that leads from the heavy iron gate to the blue painted front door is made of black and red tiles and is original to the house, as are many other details inside. There is a pretty, if rather small, garden at the front that Molly keeps in a pleasing tangle of bright flowers all summer like a cottage garden. She grows sprawling pink roses and lupins. There are nasturtiums loud in orange and red. There are spiky yellow dahlias and a honeysuckle trailed up a trellis beside the front window. Bees bumble and drone reeling from one blossom to another like small fat drunks. Inside, the house is surprisingly bright and airy. There is a fanlight above the front door which is echoed in the semicircular top of the window high above the return which brightens the stairwell. On the ceiling in the hall there is a plasterwork frieze of acanthus leaves and a central rose from which hangs an elegant glass lamp. Although it has immense charm, it is a small house. More modest than people might expect given Molly's considerable success. She bought it at the start of her career and has remained there ever since, for the sake of the garden, she says. Otherwise, I suspect that Fergus is the real reason why she's never left Dublin. She also has a tiny apartment in London where she's obliged to spend much of her time for professional reasons. She likes the city. Its vast anonymity suits her temperament. My home is also there, and I'm always pleased when she says she's going to work in London because it means I will have her company for a few months. She is, without doubt, my closest woman friend. This particular visit to make the Elliot recording coincided with her getting some urgent work done on her London flat, and I was interested in spending a little time in Dublin, so I suggested that we simply borrow each other's homes, an idea that delighted her, for it solved her problem at a stroke. I heard the clock in the hall strike the hour and counted the beats. Six o'clock. Still far too early to get up. I lay in Molly's wide, soft bed, knowing that in less than a week she would be lying in mine. And I'd wondered what it was to be Molly Fox. Slippery questions such as this greatly preoccupy both of us, given that I write plays and she acts in them. And over the years we have often talked to each other about how one creates or becomes a character quite unlike oneself. And I'm going to stop reading the story there, but I hope it will have given some of you an appetite to pick up the novel where I've left off and discover what happens to the playwright who tells us the story and her marvellous friend, Molly. Nine Two Wise Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Wise Read By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. 
Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redbind.